welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have a very special guest with me. It is my cousin, Wendy Thomas. Well, she is my cousin, <laughs> Wendy Thomas. And Wendy is a wife and mother of two, and her oldest son, Jack, is autistic. And Wendy is not only a gifted baker and cook, but she's also a fierce advocate for her children, particularly for her son, Jack. And this is what I wanted to focus on today with her. So Wendy, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Michelle. So I just want to talk about the school, your school experience, but first with Jack, but first Mm -hmm. I want to talk about when you first realized your son needed more accommodations than his public school could provide. Sure. So we have had a unique path, I think, um, in the way we've lived the last 10 years and um, how that has played out in discovering that Jack has had special needs too. When Jack was two years old, we moved down to Brazil as a family and, um, We uh, had a really lovely time there, but um, it was while we were down there um, a couple years after when he turned four that we discovered that there were some differences in the way that he was learning um, his behaviors and also the way he was communicating. Mm -hmm. And so at the time he was not in a public school. He was in a private American school down there that is actually quite a rigorous academic program. Um, It's a fantastic school and it was not set up in any way to support kids with special needs. Um, It just Mm -hmm. wasn't of theirs. You bring those things together. We're in Brazil. We're still going to be living there for at least five more years. Uh, This was the school that he did need to attend and they didn't have any special supports uh, and we were learning that he was going to need special resources to support him academically. Mm-hmm. So it all, that's kind of where the, the ball started rolling. Um, his uh, preschool teacher at the time, she confronted me, uh, came to me within like a couple of weeks of Jack beginning at the school and just was curious about some of the differences that she was noticing in the way Jack was communicating. And she didn't know if that was related to, you know, the language being different, which they did speak English there, but there was a lot of Portuguese still surrounding him because he was with a lot of Brazilian kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we started investigating that. That's what opened actually the door. So you're in Brazil, you're in another country, not where you grew up. Not where you spent your early years of your life and you have a child that you realize has additional needs outside of what maybe this school can provide. So what do you do about that? What did you do? What were some of those first steps? I think it's an emotional thing to experience as well, because yeah, is this something that he'll grow out of? Is this, what, what is this? And, and Mm -hmm. then um, he was my only child at the time. Mm -hmm. So we were a young family and you have these expectations of just how 
being a parent will unfold and then you know suddenly it can all kind kind of come crashing down when you hear that there's some concerns about your child not you know fitting into typical mm-hmm. mild parameters that that teachers see i think um as far as like getting down to work immediately and kind of putting the emotional stuff on the side we had him evaluated by a speech and language uh, pathologist down in Brazil first. And she was someone that was highly recommended by the school. She was an independent consultant. You know, that was jarring as well because she evaluated Jack over two or three sessions and her results came back quite jarring and startling. Sure. Yeah, it was all coming out that it's not, you know, most likely this isn't just a small kind of one-off thing. These were indicators that some bigger things with the way that Jack thinks and he processes. As a parent, I understand that adjustment process. I understand how we shift in our thinking and that it does take time. It takes processing of information. It takes better understanding and educating ourselves on what to do to help and to be the best support you can for your child. And actually that is no easy task. When I say best support for your child, that is a very broad statement right there because some of our children need immense support and some need less support. It's a really tricky road to navigate, to know exactly what your child needs. And I think it's ever-changing, don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Jack is now 13. This has been something that has been a huge part of our lives and Mm -hmm. has a younger brother now too. And so he's soon discovering, you know, that Jack is a little bit different as well. It has been a part of our lives for quite a while and I would say, you know, up until the recent years, did I really start to get comfortable with this is who Jack is. This is not something that is just going to go away, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and then getting confident and comfortable with that. I can support him. You know, that Mm -hmm. was a big part of this too. And being a parent is you can feel intimidated by it. It, You can feel inferior by it and it can be scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I, I also worked hard, um, Kimball and I, my husband and I together in learning how to compartmentalize this. So it wasn't such an overwhelming piece of our family. And Mm -hmm. um, that has been, you know, really helpful in, in navigating how to support him too. Mm-hmm. I just think being anchored in yourself and mm-hmm. anchored parent and feeling like you got this and feeling comfortable with, you know, figuring out these questions. How do I support my, my kid? Mm-hmm. That be a necessary part of living, living well. Mm-hmm. That is so true. I, I like to use the word embrace when we yeah. embrace where we are and who we are and also who our child is and who our family is, because I always say this autism is a family experience. It's an individual diagnosis and a family experience. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we, 
when we come to a place of embracing what is and we stop trying to figure out how to, I say like the word fix things or change things, nothing really needs fixing. We just are trying to help our child be the very best version of themselves that they can be. And also we want to show up in that same space, the mm-hmm. very best version of who we can be. And that's hard. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's tricky. A lot of, I think, forgiveness, uh, letting yourself feel the emotions, moving forward with it, staying in the now, being present, not projecting, you know, and constantly trying to uh, predict, you know, what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Those things really just can be a distraction of enjoying the moment for what it is. And your moment may look different than other families around you, but everyone has their own, you know, great things in life and their challenges in life. This Mm -hmm. is your great thing and your challenge and, and making it a part of life well-lived is what ultimately has been my focus. Mm, I think those are wise words. I want to know, let's talk about some of the roadblocks that you've come up against through your experiences. Yes. You know, I think in the beginning, there's the roadblocks personally that deal more with emotions And as we've been chatting just about getting to a good place of embracing and accepting differences that a child has and how your fantasies, the dreams that you had for bringing a child into the world, they may need to change a bit. Um, And so there are your own personal hurdles that you have to face, Mm -hmm. not away from, get good with. And I, I think, you know, that is a, that's a puzzle piece in this. And then I think, you know, specifically as we talk about with supporting a child with special needs in a school, we had determined, you know, pretty quickly that having Jack in a private school is, is, was going to be a focus for, for us. Mm-hmm. So we've had some interesting chapters of roadblocks, um, like I said, down in Brazil, we're in a, a another country. We're living internationally, figuring out. And again, you can say, is a roadblock something that stops you or is a roadblock just something that needs to get resolved and solved? Mm. And think of challenges that way um, because nothing needs to stop you in life. Mm. Like we have all capability to make things work well for us, especially when we work together. And so down in Brazil, um, you know, some of the challenges were, okay, Jack is going to be in a typical learning class. When I say typical with students that think typically Mm -hmm. uh, or normally more traditionally than Jack. So Mm -hmm. how are we for Jack? We did that by really kind of holding hands with the school administration, telling them that you don't need to fear your ability to support my child, because sometimes that can be a major thing with the school. They may not, Mm -hmm. but they are, and teachers, they're nervous about, can I provide a good experience for this child? Am I capable enough of doing that? And so they can become defensive 
Uh, that's sometimes what it looks like more is defense, uh, but they're underneath the surface. It can be more of an insecurity of, I don't know if I can, you know, if I'm, if I'm the right person to do this. So I learned that in giving teachers um, and administrators who are not experienced with kids with special needs, the support that, Hey, we can do this together. This is not all on you. This, This is on us together and let's see what we can create together. I can bring in, you know, the therapist that we use to support Jack outside of school. I can seek special resources um, to help him excel in areas that you don't think you have the the skill set to do. Mm-hmm. I'm here to and let's just make this a interesting, unique experience for all people involved. And that really went a long, long way with Jack being able to stay at a school, the one specifically in Brazil that mm-hmm. not accommodate kids with special needs. There were um, American expats who uh, historically, you know, were, had to leave Brazil and go back to the States to get resources for the kids because they weren't able to get the support in this specific school. But mm-hmm. I just found that most roadblocks can be tackled with kind of the right approach. And, and that's been really helpful for us. That's actually really impressive to me for so many reasons. And one is because when you're saying I'm here to help you, to an administration and to the teachers. Yes, they definitely feel your support, but that also means you actually need to know how to help them. So I'm guessing you did a lot of study and you also learned your child. You were learning about Jack's abilities and where his strengths were and where he might need a little extra attention. So you have to learn about what kind of a learner your child is. Definitely. Yeah. And then you have to show up and work with the administration and say, look, here's some ideas. Let's try this. And you have to be a really good mediator also and very calm and level because as we learn through our lives, when we, when we become more aggressive, it often shuts people down. The team experience kind of disappears. Yes. And um, actually, you're touching on two interesting points. One is, yes, you have to become the specialist for your child. So then mm-hmm. you are not giving that responsibility to therapists or people who have the professional credentials, you know, mm-hmm. help kids with special needs. You are the special. So at the end of the day, you get to rely mostly on your development as developer for your child. And so Mm -hmm. to learn how your kids learn, that was really important in um, this process with Jack. And I think that it kind of started more, actually started in kindergarten when um, I felt like I needed to get involved with teaching Jack how to read. Mm -hmm. And it was for me very scary because as I said about the teacher who feels intimidated, what about the parent? Okay, I'm going to try to figure out what if I can't do it? I found though that I could do it. There was really hard, (laughs) require a lot of patience and also 
techniques like, okay, what motivates Jack to stay focused in the learning process mm -hmm. so we can through it? I would send uh, videos all the time of Jack showing how he could do even simple addition or how he could put uh, phonics together to create mm -hmm. a... I was finding these techniques, I was videoing them, and I was sending them to his teachers as a collaboration process, not, he can do this, you're just not getting it done right. right. I would send mm -hmm. it as, oh gosh, look what we just discovered. Jack can figure out simple addition by using tactile, maybe pencils, mm -hmm. you know. Anyways, it was just kind of a fascinating thing to discover as being Jack's mom. And I love it still to this day, every single, well, most mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, we spend about 15 to 20 minutes working on his academics. Mm -hmm. And I love it because it's research is being a detective. It's being curious and together, um, you know, we discover things about him, but yes. So working with teachers as a collaborator, and this is just one example, you know, of how I would send these videos to them to, to show here are some ideas that maybe you want to try in the class. I think about that experience that you were having, and I almost wonder if it's universal. It feels somewhat unique to where you were, the fact that you lived in Brazil and they couldn't yep. really accommodate because I think, and so you were teaching them, but you were also working with them. I, I look at here in the US, which you live back in the United States now. And yes. I look at I look at that and I think that's really impressive that you were able to take those steps and have that journey and create that experience because I think you were paving the way for these teachers to help future students that had their own set of needs too in Brazil. And then you come back to the United States and, you know, I work with the teachers as well. It just doesn't seem for us like maybe it has worked quite as well. <laughs> I think you might have magic that you carry with you and sprinkle around? I'll tell you what it is. It's baking magic because at the end of the oh. day, appreciates chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, see, you are sprinkling. Sprinkling was the right word. <laughs> you are sprinkling magic. I love, love to bake for people. I feel like it's an extension of friendship and vulnerability. So mm. I have that along the way as I've needed people to meet me you know, at the table with Jack. So that's incredible. That's a lesson that I need to sit at your table and learn from you because I feel like I get along well with people, but that doesn't mean we always come to the same conclusion <laughs> and, and uh, the same agreement as far as the needs of my child. So that's actually super impressive. I'm I'm sitting here smiling, thinking, all right, I got some work to do. <laughs> and you know, I I should say too that it doesn't always work. It's mm -hmm. a it's a way of representing who I am mm -hmm. and uh hopefully having a sincere heart in again helping Jack and mm -hmm. bring 
people on as um, collaborators. So we work together. We're not against each other, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. always. I do run into situations where I have to just say, you know what? I've tried, I've tried, this isn't working. And I, I might have to go in a different direction now working with someone else, or I might have to just accept the situation for what it is. I'm not going to get this right now for Jack. I'm not, this mm. is just not right now for him. Mm. But something that I've always admired about you is if you don't get what you need from Jack in one area, I feel like you always find some kind of resource where you're providing that need for him, whether it be through like some kind of community involvement or activity that is that you find that you seem to find programs that exist to help children with special needs in your community. And I've just always been impressed. You moved to Park City and you hadn't been there that long. And you were telling me all of these incredible programs that existed. And yes. I and I just thought, how does she do that so fast? What is what is it about Wendy that makes her so gifted? You are an investigator. You used the word investigator earlier, and you really are a gifted investigator. So tell me about that. Like what how have you learned how to do that? Well, thank you. That's kind of you to say. <laughs> Personally, I really love connecting with people. I really do love discovering who people are. And um, there are so many things that we can relate on person to person. Um, I think actually it was your dad who uh, was watching an interview that he did a couple of years ago. And he said something about we are just as people in general, that we have more similarities than we do differences. And sometimes it's easy to think just to stack up all the, the reasons why um, a connection wouldn't work with someone. But I have discovered that, you know, if I move somewhere new, like we moved um, to Park City at the onset of COVID, <laughs> you know, I need, I need a community. I like to get involved. I like to see what people are doing here. And that always ha- benefits me from the relationship point of view. And if we're talking specifically about Jack, I, you know, connect with families in the area through either a face group that, you know, it could be uh, families that have uh, kids on the spectrum, families that have kids with special needs. And yeah, you just find that even like a small town like Park City, there will be resources wherever you go. There really Mm -hmm. will be. And I have to I have to go back to Brazil. I think my lesson in Brazil coming out of that is that you can make anything possible. You know, so many times people would say, oh, this is not going to happen for you and for Jack, or you're not going to find that here in Brazil. And there really don't, there doesn't need to be any kind of limitations on what you can discover and what you can do. So with that same kind of mantra or way of thinking. I just really like to get busy connecting with people. And Mm -hmm. that's what I did here in Park City. We've been here for almost a year and I have found such a rich community of families and then families that have kids with special needs and then resources, incredible resources here of how the community supports people with 
that are atypical or neurodiverse. Mm, I think that's pretty special. And that is a gift that you have. And, you know, for those of us that are listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking, you know what, I, I can do that too. And, and I do, and I do connect with other parents. And one thing that I have found is I used to not say too much about say like my oldest daughter, because I didn't know how other teenagers or other parents would perceive her. And then I decided, well, first I asked her permission to talk about it and she gave me the green light. (laughs) I just decided it actually opened so many doors to talk about it in specifics and not just to say, yes, my daughter's autistic. I needed to come out and say, these are her exact needs. And this is why if you see this type of behavior, this is why, and this is what it means to her. And this is how she copes. And, you know, I I needed to take the time to really explain things to people. And that opened so many doors for her and also for me and just created, like you said, relationships and a community within the area that we live in and outside even these pot, the podcast that I do currently, I'm meeting people weekly that don't live in my area and that I find are such great advocates and parents. And I have so many lessons and things I can learn from them. Yeah. So um, I do want to ask you, what would you say to parents in a similar situation as yours? So first, Actually, I want to go back real quick to uh, just your comment about being more vulnerable to share Mm -hmm. um, who your kids are and what their needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, there's a balance for me with Jack in oversharing and sharing because I feel like while autism is helpful for many people as an identity and as a label. I also find that people don't, that don't have a lot of touch points with people on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. They have a conceptions Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking specifically about the school situation that we have Jack in right now. Um, When I describe Jack first, I say that he is neuro different or he thinks differently Mm -hmm. or he is atypical. I, I usually, uh, I don't use the word autistic, although he has been diagnosed as being autistic just because for, it's a personal, you know, it's just a, a personal preference of, mm-hmm. of want people to discover Jack for who he is mm-hmm. without the biases that could come with that. So I Mm. typically say he's spectrum like, well, what does that mean? Well, he has some of the characteristics socially. He's very anxious. He processes information differently. He can get, you know, sensorially overwhelmed. Um, He loves to connect with people though, in his own quirky, special way. Mm -hmm. He's so I say this because I, I do think it's really important to figure out how you are going to what information you're going to give Mm -hmm. about your that solicits the right support that you're needing now i'm Mm -hmm. gonna bring it to current day 
So I'm trying to figure out a school situation here in Park City for Jack. Um, he was going to a private school in San Francisco uh, before we moved here. And in Park City, they don't have those, that kind of resource. They've got great special needs teachers in the public schools, but the public schools are very overwhelming for Jack, that it would just be too much of a stressful day for us to put him there. So ultimately, what I found was um, a very <laughs> organic situation where it's a new little school that's been started by about 10 to 12 families, and they're all wanting a different kind of academic experience for the kids. All of mm -hmm. these kids are typical learners. Jack is the only one really that is an atypical learner. So um, when I approached them about this, they were on board for giving it a try. And when I described Jack as being spectrum-like, um, even that, you know, really into their mindsets, it was alarming and it was scary. They told me that initially, uh, even for the class has three kids in it, that Jack would need a full-time aid for us to provide for Jack to attend the small little school. Well, mm -hmm. Jack, historically in the past, I've, I've never wanted him to have an aid just for him because he's an independent, capable kid. And I want him to believe that. Mm -hmm. But they, they just had no idea of what kind of behavioral stuff mm -hmm. they with Jack and Jack doesn't have any behavioral stuff in the, the academic setting at school or at home you know that's kind of a different story but at school he's very well behaved and so it was interesting for me recently to confront again that people do have their own ideas and it's not always negative but you know there's mm -hmm. around okay if if I have you know a kid on the spectrum in the school are they what is that going to look like? And every kid on the spectrum is different. Some really yes. do have, but Jack does not. So um, I just wanted to touch on that real quick as you were talking about, you know, how you describe your own kids, Michelle, the way I kind of package it up has worked well for us in getting Jack the support that I want. I really like the idea that you gave of talking about explaining it as like a neurodiverse experience for your child and they think differently. And they, you know, I, I just like the idea of not putting limitations on it. Instead, talking about this is what they do. This is who they are. And this is why I, I, I don't like putting limitations on my child. Yeah. So I think in yeah. that way, we're similar. You don't want other people to put limitations on your child because they don't understand and you don't want to put limitations on your child because there's so much capability there. Yes. So, and, and you want other people to help your child maximize their potential. I agree with yeah what you're saying and just painting a picture that doesn't seem intimidating for those that need to be collaborating with you to support yes. your child. Yes, I love that. That's good. That's good verbiage right there. So I want to know, <laughs> I do want to know, you shared a story with me. I'm kind of taking a different, I'm going a different direction because you shared something with me that I just thought was the kindest, sweetest story. And I was hoping you'd share it with people that are listening because you talked about something that happened in San Francisco with one of your neighbors 
And I just, I just wanted you to share that because I thought it was so sweet. Are you willing to, to throw that out there? Of course. Um, I am going to skip back to real quick to the prior question you said about what would I tell other parents or, oh, yes. And I'll, I'll make it brief, but I really overall, there's so many little points that I could get into, but I think overall, just breathe through the experience. Don't get overwhelmed by the experience, but I have found that really like literally just breathing through whatever situation you are going through, whether it be difficult or awesome with your child in the present moment, you know, using mindfulness and just kind of simplicity Mm. is a good way to just, yeah, appreciate and get through whatever you're trying to navigate. I love the word navigate because <laughs> I did too. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a great one. You were, you were wise to use it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that though. I do appreciate your words. And I think you've been through a lot over the years, over these 13 years of being a mom. And I think that there's a lot to share from the things that you've learned. Okay. The experiences totally. you've had. But if so, you're Really, it is just kind of breathing and being open mind to the experience. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to jump right yes. from this beautiful wisdom, words of wisdom that you're sharing, and just have you share this story that I love so much about okay. your neighbor in San Francisco. Okay. And I think, too, why it comes to mind is there are a lot of different parts that make up a life experience and having a kid with special needs is just one mm-hmm. and many other beautiful experiences of just day-to-day are a whole nother chunk of living life fully. So there's a podcast that my husband listens to. It's about entrepreneurship and details of how to do things from a startup uh, standpoint, but at the interviewer always asks his guests, tell me something kind that someone has done for you in your life. Love that question. And I've thought about it often, you know, if I was asked that question, uh, what would I say? So two years ago, while we were living in San Francisco, a neighbor of mine that I did not know at the time, she was pregnant with her first child and she had been a cyclist before getting pregnant and had this really great bike. And she wanted to find someone to gift it to at no price. She wanted it just to be a gift from her to someone that would really enjoy her bike because she didn't, you know, foresee herself <laughs> like, for like the next couple of years, you know, being pregnant and then having a newborn soon after. So through a friend, I became connected with Sonia. She gave me her bike. It was our first time meeting. I was starting to get interested in biking. My husband bikes a lot. And what ended up happening from two years ago until now is I have become an enthusiast with cycling. I was kind of just calculating like an approximation of the miles, but I think I've I've ridden over 1,500 miles from being in San Francisco, up to Park City, down in Salt Lake City. It's become a real treasured pastime of mine. I feel like I connect with 
nature in a beautiful way and just kind of like the goodness of being a human being. And I reflect often on what a kind thing that was in her having a moment of wanting to offer her bike to someone who would enjoy it. And I have Mm -hmm. perished the experience as the receiver of that gift. Wow. Wow. See, she's a better person than I am because I got a bike (laughs) before I had my Grace, who's now five. And guess what? I still own the bike and it's a little dusty because the last time I rode it, I fell off and broke my wrist. So it's just, (laughs) I, I love that you shared that because I just am always amazed at how giving and loving people can be. And I think it's so special that you had that experience and something that may have seemed like just a kind thing for her to do has actually changed your life. But I do have to say that, you know, everyone has their own way of giving and sure mm-hmm. you give your actual, <laughs> bike, but you know, you have a warm heart and a desire to give what you've learned to have people who have experience in the world of special needs share and tell their stories. That is, you know, something that you can't put a price tag on either. So you're doing an incredible work. And I've plugged you in with many little groups that I have, because I know that you, you know, you care and, at the end of the day, that's all that people need sometimes just to know that someone cares and someone can listen to them. Well, that is so nice. But I want to know what some really fun characteristics are that maybe you and Jack have in common. <laughs> <laughs> well, yesterday I was picking him up from gymnastics and he and his coach, who is a super fun individual too. Um, I was walking into the gym and I was noticing that they had just recently decorated for Halloween. And it was so fun. It was so festive. (laughs) And as I was decorations and walking around the corner, all of a sudden Jack and Mariah jump out, yell boo, and, you know, jump three feet high. (laughs) My heart was in like the sweaty palms all of that was great <laughs> and I laughed quickly after and told his coach Mariah that in my younger days of being mischievous I loved to do the same thing <laughs> roommates too yeah housemates even Kimball my husband I still get a thrill out of once in a while just scaring the bejesus out of <laughs> Oh, I so want to be a fly on the wall to see these experiences. I I just have to say, this does not surprise me at all. For those of you listening, just knowing that Wendy and I are cousins, our parents used to prank each other growing up. And I think it's just runs in the family because I remember one Christmas season in particular where my, I think it was my dad that put like something in the newspaper that said to drop your old Christmas trees off. Uh, And then he gave your parents address 
And yes. so they had like 40 dead Christmas trees in their driveway. I don't even know how it got resolved, but that's funny. <laughs> Got to add the spice to life. It, it makes it more fun. Jack definitely has that within him too. And I, I like to say, or like to think that he gets that from me. <laughs> oh, he for sure does. You can own that. <laughs> So thank you, Wendy, so much for talking with me today and for sharing some of your stories and for allowing people to learn and to listen and to just grow through recognizing someone else's experiences. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. For those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. Thanks for listening.